a special treat for you guys today. I'm going to ask James Peterson to come up on the stage. Give him a hand. He's our guest speaker today. And I said through the first service, you guys are in for a treat. Uh, a few months ago, I just wanted to come up to Ryrie Chapel, where he is the senior pastor, and just see uh, the entryway that, uh, that you gave so much money to, to fund, to, and he'll tell you more about that. And uh, I just had the treat of experiencing a wonderful, amazing church family there, led by this guy. This guy is uh, just a dynamic preacher of the Word of God. I am such a fan, and I can't wait for you to hear the message. They've been in uh, the Acts series, and they're a couple of weeks ahead of us in terms of chapters. So I just said, hey, man, bring your sermon down and do it. And he agreed. Uh, thank you, James. Yeah, thanks, Great Jeff. to have you. Yeah. <clears throat> well, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity greatly to be here and bring the word this morning. And I guess just to be honest, I probably need to tell you all, I have a little bit of a problem. Uh, Out in Ryrie, the city of Ryrie has a siren that goes off at noon, even on Sundays. So I always know when it's noon during my message. You guys are not blessed with such a siren. Do you want to make one? No, no, that's no, that's good. We don't need to do that. That's not the participation we're looking for. Uh, well, I just want to again say how grateful I am to be here this morning. And I, I first, I really need to start before we get to our text and the word this morning. I want to take a moment and thank you as a church. I want to thank all of you. Um, when I took the pastorate five years ago out in Ryrie, uh, there was a building project. Our stairs were crumbling. Um, we had an engineer come, and he said, you cannot go another winter with these stairs the way they are. And we went two more winters. By the grace of God, they didn't fall in on someone. You were literally walking by faith when you came to church. <laughs> and so eventually, the board of directors, after a lot of prayer, conversations, we decided to finally move forward with this building project. And when we started that, we sent out letters to local churches, Christ Community being one of those churches. And we were asking for prayer support and financial support as we endeavored to do this. Being a smaller church, there's a lot of hurdles. One of those is the financial and just the, you know, we don't have a lot of resources to pull on. And many churches partnered with us, and Christ Community was one of those churches that partnered with us in a large way, not only financially, but also with prayer. Uh, Your elders uh, rallied around us, your pastors rallied around me, uh, and I am utterly grateful to this church. Uh, And so on behalf of Ryrie Chapel, the congregation there, who are there just starting to meet about 30 minutes ago, uh, they, we all say thank you to you. We, I truly have the privilege of what, of knowing what Paul says to the Thessalonians when he says, I give thanks to God always for you. Every time this church pops into my mind, I am grateful for you. So, Now, I would like to move on to the text for today. If you have your Bibles and want to open them to Acts chapter 20, we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 35 this morning. As you're turning there, I have a question for you. Have you ever had to say goodbye to someone? Probably you all have, whether it was, you know, a friend moving away, a family member moving away, or a child going off to college. Goodbyes are a part of life. But have you ever had to say goodbye to someone who you were not going to see again on this earth? It's a little bit trickier. 
I've had the opportunity uh, in years past to go up to Old Faithful Christian Ranch and be the speaker for Senior High Week. Uh, And I always love going up there and bringing the word of God to young men and young women. It's just amazing to be up there. And there's eight chapels that you do. Thursday night chapel is a little unique because we do chapel at the campfire. And it's a little bit more of a sober time, a a time of contemplation for all of the students who are there as they contemplate Jesus and salvation and eternity. And oftentimes, Thursday night, there's a lot of first-time commitments, there's a lot of rededications to the Lord. And then comes Friday morning. I find Friday morning chapel the most difficult one to prepare for because I have this group of students, many of whom who have just had this kind of emotional high, and now they're headed back to real life. And I may not see them again. And so I have this burden, this desire to impart wisdom to carry them through my not being there. And the real life of whatever life they're going back to. Some of them going back to really difficult, hard situations. It is difficult to say goodbye to someone when you're not going to see them again. Because we have a deep desire to impart wisdom that will carry them through our absence. So we come to Acts chapter 20. Paul is saying farewell, he's saying goodbye to the elders of Ephesus and the churches of the Ephesus region and all those churches. Paul has spent time serving with these men alongside them and for them. And now the time has come for Paul to return to Jerusalem. And to add to this goodbye, the severity of it almost, Paul knows for a fact that he's not going to see them again face-to-face on this earth. And so in this moment, as we approach our text, we need to remember this is the attitude, this is really the context of it. Paul's final words to the Ephesian elders in the church of Ephesus to carry them through his absence. So let's read our text today. We're going to read the entirety of it, 17 through 35. Now from Miletus he, went to, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with, and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But... I do not account my life of any value nor precious to myself if only I may finish the course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And from, a, from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all who, those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I'd like to start us off with prayer. So join with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you after reading your precious word that is uh, more precious than gold or silver or anything on this earth. And Lord, we know it is living and active. So I pray right now, Father, that you'd use this broken vessel of myself to proclaim your truth. Give me clarity of thought, precision of language this morning that your word might be proclaimed to your people to build up your people to your praise and your glory. And Lord, we dedicate this time to you. We lift it up to you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who makes all things possible. Amen. So I know that's a large reading, so I really want to boil it down for us. Bite-sized chunks. Bottom line, Paul is warning the church He's warning the church that wolves are going to come in and not spare the flock. And deceivers are going to rise up from among the church and lead away disciples. It is from this warning, Paul then calls the church to be prepared. He calls the church to action. But it comes out of this warning to the church. So to begin with, we need to understand the warning. Paul tells the church, wolves are going to come in not sparing the flock, and deceivers will rise up and lead away the disciples. Paul warns this in verses 29 through 30. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. These wolves are unbelievers coming and persecuting the church. Now, if you've spent any time in church history, you understand that since the beginning of church history, there has been constant persecution and wolves attacking the church. Emperor Nero, who is coming to power right as Paul is saying this, would be one who would burn Christians alive to light his parties. The Roman Empire, for hundreds of years, would make it a point to attack and persecute the Christian church. Now the methods of persecution should, not, should shock us. But the reality of persecution should not. Because Jesus himself said <clears throat> in Matthew 10, 16 and 18, he says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in the synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Paul Paul also promises persecution for anyone who pursues godliness. In 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go about from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. We see wolves coming into the flock of God or the church and devouring throughout history. 
from the time of Paul even to our present age. Now, we in America, we live a rather privileged life, and praise God for that. But may we never forget that the church, universal church at large around the world, is being hunted by wolves. Chiefly coming to our mind should be the church in Afghanistan right now, though there's many other places. But that church has gone completely underground. They have wolves who are trying to sniff them out to bite and devour them. May we never forget sitting in America with our religious freedoms, and again, praise God for that, that we are sheep in the midst of wolves. There may come a day when our religious freedoms are taken away, and the wolves have free reign over us. We see it elsewhere in the world today. We are sheep in the midst of wolves. And dear friends, we must remember this. We may not experience the intense ravaging of persecution that Paul or the Ephesian church, the church in Ephesus or our brothers and sisters around the world do, but we do experience persecution, albeit maybe mild persecution. Whether that's affliction from our work or home, family, or home situation where we're being belittled for our faith. Or maybe we're looked over for a job promotion because we claim to be a Christian. Whatever the case is, we must acknowledge the truth, acknowledge the threat that wolves are out there. And they want to eat you. Not only does Paul warn the church against wolves, but he also warns the church about deceivers rising up from within the church, and their goal is to lead away the disciples. We know early church experienced many heresies, from Paul combating the Judaizers to John combating the Gnostics. There will always be those who seek to twist the Bible and even the good news of Jesus for their own pleasure and material gain. We see this in history past, but we also see it in present history. Out of this epidemic of comfortable Christianity have arisen blatant heresies, and they have vomited all over the world. One example, dear church, is the Word of Faith movement. Prosperity gospel, the name it and claim it, or as my father dearly calls it, the blab it and grab it. (laughs) This is a heresy. Deceivers have risen up and twisted the good news of Jesus. And they have turned the all-powerful, self-sufficient, infinite God into nothing more than man's cosmic vending machine. Deceivers will come. Wolves will rise up. So we need to be ready. You know, growing up, I grew up on a farm and ranch just outside of town in Idle Falls. And we had sheep growing up. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity to have all these illustrations about sheep, but sheep are the dumbest animals ever. <laughs> I only had one person argue with me on that. They tried to convince me that chickens are dumber, and they're not. <laughs> I mean, visualize a, a, sh- a sheep in your mind, okay? They have that dorky-shaped body, that really oddly-shaped head, 
those really creepy eyes, and then like stick legs with no muscle. They're kind of pathetic. If a predator gets into the herd, the sheep's only hope is to be faster than the other sheep. They don't have any defense mechanism. There was this one time we had coyotes begin to get into our flock. And after we found that first sheep that was just torn up, devoured by the coyote, we went to work. We put bells around the necks of the sheep so that if they were causing a commotion, we could hear them and respond. We even got llamas because llamas will protect the sheep, oddly enough. (laughs) There was a threat and we got prepared. Paul is telling the church, especially the elders, be ready. Get ready. Be prepared. There is a threat. So get ready. Paul tells us, especially the overseers, but he does tell the whole church, four necessities for the church to be ready. First, the church needs overseers who are paying attention. Paul says this in verse 28. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the, flo- for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. We must remember Paul is at this time speaking to the elders of the church or the overseers. This office of overseer is crucial to the safety of the church. Paul, in light of the threat of wolves and deceivers, first calls the overseers, the elders, the pastors, to be ready. To be prepared. Now, from our text, we see the origin of overseers, the duty of overseers, and the attitude of overseers. The origin of overseers is the Holy Spirit. Paul says that the Holy Spirit made them overseers. I know many of the current elders of Christ Community Church. I I know some of the former elders, and I have the opportunity to know all of the pastors. So right now, I have the opportunity to speak to them. Your office as elder, as pastor, is brought about, commissioned by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, overseers have authority in the church. Elders and pastors have authority in the church. This is an office called and commissioned by God, and it is a sobering reality for all of those who are elders, who are pastors, who are overseers, and anyone who desires to be that. Remember, it is by the Holy Spirit. And you have a duty. The duty of overseers is to care for the flock. Now the Greek word here, care, is literally <laughs> to act like a shepherd. Keep in mind those dorky little sheep. Overseers are, have the position of caring for the flock. It is their duty to run to the sh- flock's aid. When we had that time of the coyotes getting into the flock, there were some times where we would hear the bell on those sheep going crazy. 
And someone in the family, usually my father, would run out to check on the sheep because there might be a predator. Now, half the time, they were just being weird sheep and just running around the pasture. But there were times where there was a coyote off in the distance, and as the sheep ran away from it, we heard the bell and we responded. Overseers ought to do the exact same thing. When there's a threat, when there's a wolf, when there's a deceiver, the overseers step to the front and say, you're going to have to go through me. That's what Paul is calling the elders to, to pay attention, to do their duty. But they should not exercise this authority in the church in an authoritarian way, beating people into submission, Because the attitude of overseer must be that they are called to shepherd the blood-bought flock of God. I am a pastor at Ryrie Chapel. That is not my church, not my personal possessive church. It's God's. Elders and pastors of Christ's community, you are called to under-shepherd this church. It is not your church in a possessive way. It is God's. He bought it by the blood of Jesus upon the cross when he paid for the sins of his people. You are called to tend and care for that flock. Paul is calling the elders then and now to step to the front and protect the flock. John Calvin said it very well when he said, Pastors need two voices. One, to tenderly speak to the sheep. And the other, to drive away the wolves. The church needs overseers who are paying attention. And Christ's community, praise God for the elder board you have. Praise God for the pastor staff you enjoy. You have men who are diligently surrendering themselves to God and seeking to shepherd you. And praise God. I will continue to pray for this church that God would raise up men to oversee and shepherd this flock. Not only does the church need diligent overseers, but the church as a whole needs to be alert. This is the second necessity for the church in light of the threat. It needs to be alert. Paul states this. He says, therefore, be alert. (laughs) Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish you, every one of you, with tears. Now it's true, Paul is still speaking to the elders at this point, right? But I have no doubt that when the elders got back to Ephesus, their church family came up to him and were like, what did Paul say? Tell us, what did Paul tell you? And the elders would have said, he's leaving, and that is very sad. And wolves are coming for us. Deceivers are going to rise up from within us. They're going to try to deceive you. So be alert. This call of alertness is for the entirety of the church. Agatha and I, my wife Agatha, who's sitting back there, uh, (laughs) we just started watching a new TV series called Alone. And... uh, it's a survival show where they take these participants and drop them in the wilderness by themselves and they just have to survive. Sounds terrible as an extrovert. 
uh, <laughs> I would not do well. And, but anyways, <clears throat> these participants have their own cameras, so they're kind of filming themselves as they go about the wilderness. They're looking for food. They're looking for water, building shelters, all that stuff. And they're filming themselves do it. And I, when I first started watching it, I kind of found it funny how paranoid they were. <laughs> they would be walking around in the woods, and you'd hear like a twig snap or something, right? And they're just big eyes, and they start, what was that? To the camera. I'm like, okay, you're just being dramatic. Calm down. Until one episode where this man is sitting in his shelter, and he hears a sound outside. His eyes go big. He goes, what was that? And he lowers his door and puts the camera out. And there's a pack of wolves circling his shelter. I thought two things. First, why would anybody do this? (laughs) And second, now I get it. No wonder they're so paranoid. There's a threat. No wonder they're so alert. There are predators who would love to sink their teeth into them. Church, Christ's community, there is a real and present threat in the world. There are wolves seeking to devour us, deceivers desiring to deceive us. Our enemy, the the devil, roams around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. That is what we're up against, so be alert. We gotta get ready. We need to be prepared. And this alertness has a personal and a corporate idea. First, personally, Paul speaks to this personal alertness of the church in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 16, where he says, Do not, or look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. In other words, Paul is saying, There's a threat out there. There's evil out in the world. So watch your step. Be careful how you use your time and what you do. Personally, we need to be alert. Friends, we need to be on guard, watchful. This means that we need to be careful what shows we watch, what music we listen to, the people we hang out with, Social media and every other little dynamic of life should pass through a filter of alertness and God's truth. We need to be alert because there is a danger out there. But the other side of this is we need to be corporately alert as a church. Paul makes this point in verse 35 when he says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Each one of us should seek to help the weak. This may be one good thing about sheep. They're a herd animal. When a predator gets in, they run together. They can't do anything about it once they do that, but that's it. (laughs) And as they come together and create this mass of wool, they're protecting one another. And their hope is that the predator will just kind of look at this mass of wool and say, it's not worth my time. Now, we as the church, 
should come together. We should gather around the weak. We should circle up. It's what we are doing right now. We're gathering together as the flock of God. But dear friends, when we gather together, we gather together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The all-powerful Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, Prince of peace. That is who we come under when we gather. And we must encourage the weak, pray for the weak, invest in one another's lives. There's two sides of this coin, and I have to speak to them before we can move on. The first side, friends, there are some of us sitting here today who have not heard the words of a deceiver. And we can't even visualize a wolf. We have not undergone a lot of persecution in our lives, and praise God for that. But sometimes in this position of peace, we become blind or we kind of put on blinders to the suffering of others. <laughs> we say, well, I don't see any wolves. There's no wolves in my life. When our brothers and sisters are being devoured. So my encouragement for you is if you're sitting here today and you find yourself saying, hey, life has been going pretty good. I don't know any deceivers. I haven't seen any wolves. This is pretty good. Look around. Look for those who might be struggling in this church or in your social sphere and help them. Engage in their lives. How sad it is when people are struggling within the church and nobody knows. Nobody's looking. We must be invested in each other's lives and seek to help the weak. So my challenge for you today is if you're in this position of of peace, try to encourage someone this week. Take someone a meal so they don't have to cook for their family that night. Or call someone up and pray for them. Send them a text. Reach out to someone. Write them a letter. I know that's really old school, but hey, it's good. Find out a way, look for a way to encourage someone in the church. The other side of the coin is there are those, maybe sitting here right now, who have been chewed on by the wolves. Who come today having been deceived by deceivers. And you might be sitting here today and just feel as though you have hunks of your soul ripped out, bitten out. You are weary with pain. You are tired with regret. And to be honest, you almost didn't come this morning. To those who might be in this position of weak, I encourage you, come to the church. Run to the flock I don't mean the building, I mean the people. Reach out to your elders, reach out to your pastors, reach out to someone in the church and say, hey, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, I, am, I feel like I can't make it any further, I need help. Friends, it's truly sad that, that we, we, we would be more comfortable going to a Quicken Loans, for example, when we're facing financial struggles than coming to the church. And it's because when I go to Quicken Loans, I have anonymity. They don't care why I got there. But when I come to the church, I have to say, I'm broken, I messed up, I've been eaten, I've been torn up, I'm hurting, I'm, whatever the case may be, and I need help. The problem is, anonymity creates solitude and isolation. Think of that herd of sheep. The predator, the wolf is coming in, ready to devour and here's one sheep off by itself. 
easy picking for the wolf. We need to be alert to each other's needs. We need to personally be attentive to what's coming into our lives, to what's going on in our lives, to the wolves and deceivers, the threat that's out there. But we also, as a church, need to be watching out for one another because there is a real threat out there. We need to be alert. Now, my dad finally wised up and sold the sheep. And, but we're on a farm and ranch, right? We have cows as well. And when we'd work cows, it was all hands on deck. My dad would give the shots and brand the cows, the calves, and my grandpa would run the squeeze chute. My grandma would fill the shots. My little sister would help my grandma fill the shots. My mom, my brother, and my sister would push the cows up into the squeeze chute, and I got relegated to the back. I would watch the back fence to make sure the cows didn't jump out. It was so boring. Uh, very, very boring. Keep in mind, you know, branding cows could take two hours, and I'd be sitting back there on the fence <laughs> watching the cows. <laughs> My sole job was to be alert and be watchful, to pay attention. That's it. That's all I had to do. This one time, the cows started getting really ornery, and one of the cows started to, to rear up her front legs to kind of jump. Now keep it, I mean, this was the first action that had happened at the back fence since the dawn of time. <laughs> but this cow just full-blown just goes straight over the fence, and I am daydreaming. I'm not even paying attention. I'm not alert. I'm not watching. Nothing. This cow jumps, part of the herd goes, and here I am having to explain to the family who's doing their job why the cows got out. I wasn't paying attention. Now, I'm being slightly facetious with this illustration. When it comes to the alertness of the church and the attention of the elders, we need to be dead serious because it's an eternal matter involving souls. We must pay attention as elders we must be alert as the church. We cannot get distracted. We need to be hyper-vigilant. This brings us to the third necessity for the church in light of the wolves. The third necessity for the church is the ability to endure. Paul is warning the church that there's a threat out there so they can be ready but he's also calling them to action. Have you ever been driving on the road at night and a deer walks on the road? And the deer eyes to the headlights, hopefully you didn't hit it, uh, and just fixed and it freezes, right? It stops in the middle of the road. It's really ridiculous. That deer is alert, ears perked. It is watching those orbs that are barreling towards it. But it doesn't move. Friends, Paul is telling us, be alert, be attentive, pay attention, but for a reason. We need to be able to endure. We need to be able to run the race that is set before us, no matter the cost. Paul is the example of this, isn't he? Here Paul is talking to his beloved brothers in Christ. 
who he's served with for several years at this point. And he's saying goodbye. And he's saying, hey, I'm headed to Jerusalem and I know I'm going to be imprisoned. I'm going to be afflicted. So in other words, Paul knows where he's going, but he doesn't know that just in the, I mean, in the chapters of Acts, just in a couple chapters, he's going to be beaten so bad that he can't even walk and he will have to be carried by Roman soldiers. He doesn't know that this imprisonment that takes place in Jerusalem is going to cart him off all the way to Rome. But Paul is unmoved from his calling. Isn't he? Verse 24. It reads, But I do not account my life of any value nor precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of, God, of the grace of God. Paul is the example of enduring, running the race no matter the cost. It's as if he looked at the elders, he looks at us today, and he says, hey guys, wolves are coming for you. Deceivers are going to rise, come in, they're going to try to deceive you, they're going to try to lead you away. For me, I'm headed into the wolf's den. But I count my life as no value at all, nor precious to myself. In other words, I will run my race no matter the cost. This ability to endure only comes through valuing Jesus above our own lives. Paul makes this point even more clear in Philippians 3, 7 through 11, and you'll probably remember these words. But whatever I gained, whatever I, I had, sorry, whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness in, of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I might share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Dear church, is Jesus your supreme delight? The church needs to be able to endure trials that are coming. But in order to endure those, we must value Christ above all things. Do you? Do I? Paul is stating here that Jesus is his supreme delight. That Jesus is the most precious thing to him, person to him, relationship to him. Only as we attempt to value Christ above all else will we be able to endure the evil days that are coming, that are around us. When we value Christ above all else, the wolves are going to come in. But they can't take anything away from us. Can they? Because if Christ is my supreme delight, that I value, if I value him above my own life, then wolves can come in, persecute, take away, attack and even threaten my life, and I can find myself satisfied with the king. 
Wolves, if we, if we uh, value Christ above our own lives, when deceivers come in and they're trying to deceive us, we can see through the deception. Because every deceit of man puts the center of the focus on man. It twists the gospel to elevate man above God. And if I value Christ above all else, I can see through that deception. I see it for what it is. The elevation of man's pleasure over God's pleasure. We must value Christ above our own lives. It's a simple truth, friends. It really is. It's very simple. That if you value Christ, if I value Christ above my own life, I will be able to endure any trial. That's a simple truth. It is very difficult in practice. Isn't it? In the book, Where the Red Fern Grows, if you've read it, Billy, the main character, needs to catch a raccoon in order to train his coon hounds. And to do this, he builds a raccoon trap. Maybe you'll remember it. It's a small structure with a hole at the top, a small hole that the raccoon can fit its hand in, and then it has nails around the entrance. And Billy, all he has to do is put a bright, shiny object at the bottom of the trap. And the raccoon wants that. And so he sticks his hand in, grabs it, and then as he pulls his hand out, his hand gets stuck with the nails. And then Billy just has to come by and dispatch of the raccoon. It's a simple trap that works in reality. The irony, though, is all the raccoon has to do is let go. That's simple, friends. Freedom is that close for the raccoon. If he lets go, he can then make his hand smaller, wiggle it out from the nails, and pull it right out. But the raccoon won't because it wants the shiny object. It wants that bright little orb that was at the bottom that fascinated him so much that now it's leading him straight to death. How much my fallen heart is like that raccoon. Our sinful hearts desire the momentary pleasures of this life. We're like that raccoon that sticks its hand in and we grab hold of money. We grab hold of reputation. We grab hold of our time, our energy, even our family. And we're stuck here in this trap while the wolves are circling us. And all we have to do is let go and value Christ. That's it. But our heart so desires the momentary pleasures of this earth. My heart seeks the fame and the fortune and the value from this, my peers, and this earth. How little it actually matters compared to Christ. Friends, let go and value Christ. Those things are not bad. Money, family, job, success, those are not bad. But the trap is allowing a good thing to become the best thing in your life. That's the trap. As soon as money becomes the best thing, I am closing my fist around it and I say, this is my hope, this is my value, this is my satisfaction. I can do it with family, spouse, job, whatever. And we must let go and value Christ above all else. Because only in him will you find satisfaction for your soul. Only in Jesus it's always difficult preaching passages like this where there's wolves coming and what we need to do is value Christ above all else. 
He needs to be our supreme delight so that we can be ready. Because as I preach those words, I know how, fall, how short I fall of that. It is a high calling. It is difficult to value Christ above everything in our lives to say, I count it all as rubbish compared to Christ. But even though it's difficult, the wolves are still coming. The deceivers are still going to rise up. Paul isn't saying to the elders, he's not saying, hey, I'm out of here and you're going to have a comfy, cozy life. Things are going to go great for you. No, he's saying, I'm out of here and I'm headed into the wolf's den and the wolves are coming for you too. It's going to be difficult to follow Jesus. It's going to be hard to lay aside all the distractions of this earth and follow Jesus alone. It is a hard walk to be a Christian. But we must run the race with endurance that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Christ. This brings us to the fourth necessity for the church in light of the wolves. In light of the wolves and the deceivers coming in, we as a church need to remember who is our good shepherd. We're running this race with our eyes fixed on Jesus. And we need to remember who Jesus is. We may face scary days ahead of us, friends. There may be days of deep darkness, of sorrow, loss, pain, agony, even. And I have no doubt that the elders of Ephesus had these thoughts as they were gripped with a fear of Paul leaving and wolves coming in. And so Paul, in verse 32, he says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul is entrusting the Ephesians to God. This is Paul saying, I'm leaving. Wolves are coming, but you are in the hands of God. Take heart, dear friends, no matter how deep the darkness, no matter how sorrowful life may get or the agony that we may experience, we are in the hands of the good shepherd. Jesus himself says in John 10, 27 through 30, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of his hand. I and the Father are one. This is our hope. God is with us. Christ is for us. It's as if Christ is holding you in his hand. If you have trusted in Jesus, believed in him for salvation, he grasps you, you are his. He has chosen you and you are his. Nothing can change that. But not only that, God, the all-powerful, grabs you as well. Let wolves and deceivers do their best. They cannot get in. They cannot change your eternal reality, your hope. Because the good shepherd is for you. You know, we think of ourselves as like mighty lions in life. You've probably seen one of those memes on like Facebook or Instagram where it's like this mighty lion, it has this catchy phrase of like, I will destroy everyone who comes in my way. 
And yet, friends, in reality, we are dorky little sheep. And we think of Jesus as this prim and proper, you know, weak little meek shepherd with his little you know, crook. He's just sitting here. Maybe he's holding a lamb, right? That's the, that's the catchy one. He's just sitting here like, mm-hmm. When Jesus, it says Jesus is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords, the prince of peace, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting king. He will, his name will cause everyone in all of history to fall on their knees in praise, whether they have trusted in him or whether they have not. The authority of Jesus is unquestionable and unmatched, and he is your good shepherd. We are the sheep of his pasture. Your elders, they may fail you. Your pastors may fail you, and I pray that that doesn't happen, but we're all fallen sinners. Jesus never will. He is your good shepherd. Paul is saying, guys, I'm leaving. I know it's scary, but you're in the hands of God. I commit you to the word of his grace, which is Jesus and the gospel. I commit you to these things, and they are able to do two things. They will build you up. It doesn't matter what brokenness you come with to Jesus. It doesn't matter how worn down you feel. He can build you up. He will build up the church. I love the title series that Christ Community uh, chose for the series through the book of Acts, the relentless gospel. The good news, the kingdom of God cannot, will not be stopped. Even if the church is persecuted and our lives are taken away from us, that doesn't mean that the kingdom is stopping. The kingdom is always ever advancing to its fulfillment and culmination with the return of Jesus Christ. God is able to build you up and he's able to give you the inheritance of eternal life with Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, in him, you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Eternal life is promised to us because of the perfect work, finished work of Christ. I love that Paul makes sure to say that this inheritance is for those who are sanctified. In the Greek, this is a perfect, passive, participle. All you need to know about that is that it is an action that is being done to us that is perfect and complete and has present reality implications in my life. So in other words, I, the work of sanctification or being set apart as holy, has been done to me. It is perfect, and now I get to live in it. Friends, we are a holy people, a chosen race, a people of his own possession. We are God's. We are the sheep of his pastures. No matter how dark it gets, the king is coming and we can trust that reality. We can cling to that reality that Christ will come and we will enjoy eternal life with him. This is the promise of our good shepherd. Friends, wolves are coming. Deceivers will rise up. 
It's a real and present threat. So elders, pay attention. Overseers, be ready. Church as a whole, we need to be alert. We need the ability to endure trials that only comes through valuing Christ above all else. And if you want to value Christ above all else, behold him in his splendor. Take time every day to just behold the supremacy of God. That he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who breathed out stars. It says in Hebrews that Jesus holds the world together by the word of his mouth. That is your shepherd. He is your God. So value him above all else. Dear church, friends, beloved family, prepare for the wolves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as your sheep, as your children, bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask for help. We ask that you would stir up within us an alertness, an attention to one another, to your flock. Father, we pray that you would instill within us a tenacious faith that clings to Christ and values Christ above all else. That even if wolves come in, and begin to bite and devour the church around us and even ourselves, that we would continue to sing your praise, continue to sing and declare your gospel. You are worthy of all praise, dear Lord, and we thank you that you have worked mightily in our lives, and we put our hope, our trust in you. May you give us a humble heart, a well-guided zeal, a single eye for eternity, and then let wolves and deceivers do their best, but raise up a church devoted to you. We pray this in the all-powerful, sustaining name of Jesus. Amen.